looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You drive me wild. <laughs> what up, Crazy Train Radio? You look like hell, and I could look the same. What's the photo for? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Truth, 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 I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. What's it open? Say it! Say it! Say it! Say it! Say it! Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy nerfo. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hey, I'm Marshall Teague, and I want you to join me on Crazy Train Radio. It's it's a thrill a minute. It's full of it. I'm full of the action. It'll talk, talk about things you have never heard before or want to hear. Tune in. You'll dig it. Hey, folks. It's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc. 
Jonathan Steele. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, this next guest has appeared, and last check, because we know everything on the internet is true, has, <laughs> <laughs> has appeared in over 130 film and TV shows. He is also a retired member of the U.S. Navy and a former deputy sheriff in the great city of Memphis, which is known for good barbecue and music. Absolutely. But he has used various portions of from his military life and law enforcement life background to incorporate his realistic portray on film with characters. With his work, he has certainly he certainly has a talent for bouncing starting roles with powerful supporting characters which has allowed him to build a pivotal body of work he is probably best known for his theatrical breakout role as jimmy reno in the cult classic roadhouse please welcome marshall t hey, how you doing you sir doing, very well how are you sir can't complain nobody listens anyway but never here do. and there there <laughs> Never do when we bitch and moan, but is what it is. So it is what it is. How is your lovely Sunday afternoon and where are you currently? Right now I'm currently in my house, in my office, but um, my Sunday afternoon is going well. My wife and I went down to get dirt for her planting her flowers and vegetables. <laughs> and and I went along to carry the dirt and the vegetables to make sure I got home. Yeah, the workhorse, pretty much. Pretty much. I just, uh, you know, she points that I need this. I go get it. You know, happy yeah. wife, happy life. Yes, ma'am. And move about your day. All those things. All those yeah. things. Yeah, we can, so many cliches, we could spend all afternoon doing that. But before we get into the fun stuff, I mentioned about your military service. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you. What did you actually do in the Navy? My, my job? Yeah. I, I keep that very quiet. I'm, I don't talk about my military life much. Fair enough. Well, do you I, talk I about my the... Job. Uh, I try to do it exceptionally well. Totally understand. But, well, let me go with this then. So what made you want to go into the military at 17? A lot of reasons. Um, I was told, now granted, I was told that... Uh, uh, that I was a pain in the ass as a child, you know, and what I didn't see because I spent early years in military schools. So discipline was something that you're going to get hammered in the head with every single day in military school. So the one year, the one year I went to what I call civilian school and I looked around and I just, you know, it just didn't fit in. You know, I, didn't understand this, didn't understand the loose, you know, the running around, the not, you know, some giving a crap, not giving a crap. Um, the, there was no reg, there was no regimentation. There was no order that had been drilled into my head my whole life. And I just uh, couldn't handle it. You know, I just basically asked my dad to sign for me. He said, I just, you know, 
you know, and, and they sit there in school, and, you know, back then, this, you got to understand, this is a long time ago. You know, you did something wrong. Something, you know, they might say, well, we're going to, you're going to get paddled. And I would look at them, and I would laugh. I go, no, that's not going to happen. I had already been studying martial arts since I was a child. And I just, I looked at him and said, no, you're not going to spank me. I'm way past spanking. And I just said, dad, I need to go, you know, I need to go into something that uh, I feel connected in. And he, he, you know, he, there was no reason to argue with me. And he didn't argue with me. My father served, you know, and uh, he, we just kind of came to the agreement. He would sign and I went in. That's it. Well, with all that being said and the discipline and all that fun stuff and going to respect that you don't dive deep into it, but looking back with the hindsight of where you are now, sure. do you feel that was the best move for you as far as a maturity level and growing up and everything that the military does offer? There's two schools, you know, I look at young actors that come into the business today. They're young, they're, free you know open-minded you know they kind of and it's and i and i i have often thought i mean what would it have been like had i gotten into that at a very young age but because you know being raised in the mountains of tennessee i mean that's and a father that works his butt off every day all day and a mother that works too you know it's just it just doesn't lend itself to that and they're not going to turn you loose, you know, and that, and it, it may have made a difference. It might've made my life different, but I'm not going to turn around and look back and say, well, is me. I should have done this because it wasn't in the plan. What plan was laid out? You know, you, you've heard the expression, you play the cards you're dealt. Mm-hmm. I played the cards I was dealt. And uh, for whatever reason, good or bad for me, I appreciate it. There's so much about it that I appreciate uh honored you know if nothing else to be a part of the military service and i have so many friends that or have been and are in the military today and it is a brotherhood a brotherhood and a sisterhood and i would not change that for all the money in this world same thing with being a cop too you know you know people say you went to fight for your country i said no that's not right i went to fight for the guy that was right next to him because i know he was fighting to protect me you know and that's that's after everybody gets through with all the other stuff that's really what it comes down to fighting for the brother or sister right next to you right next to you you know and that's yeah. really what it comes down to and, and it's the same thing when you're a cop because you're protecting your your partner. Your partner's protecting you, and you are trying to protect your state, your county, whatever it is you're doing to try to keep it safe. And that's you know, again, proud. You know, well, proud to with that being said, and sure. rightfully so to be proud. And again, thank you for the service. But would you say, having a background in both military and working as a cop as well? that it's a similar sort of structure and relationship that you would have with say your brothers and sister in uniform? Uh, I'm not quite, I don't think I quite understand your question. Well, when I say that is, and like you were saying, you're there with the fighting for the person next to you that you're serving with in whatever field we're talking about there. 
would you feel it's the same thing as far as their brother and sisterhood of whatever field we're in or is it two separate things the military and the sheriff's department no i mean when you take on that responsibility you know you you accept you take an oath both of them you take an oath for you know to serve and protect them uh and by the way people out there that are listening that, that when you give that you take that oath i want you to under people to understand that does not say in that oath that i i i swear that I'm willing to die for you. You know, people say, well, you're a cop. This is your job. No, I don't wake up in the morning saying, hey, I'm going in to get killed because that's my job and I'm going to put it out for everybody. That doesn't happen. No. You know, uh, and it's really important. People kind of get high and mighty about that and they need to take a, they need to take an attitude check. You take that oath to serve and protect mankind, the people around you, the the good and sometimes the bad, sometimes from their self. But you take that oath. You do that in the military. You take that oath. And no one, you know, I never met a soldier or a cop that wakes up in the morning and says, good gracious alive, I can't wait to go to war. You know, <laughs> they don't exist. I can't think of anybody. <laughs> no, they, they get up, they get, wake up and say, I'm going to go do my job. And that's it. And you do your job. Exactly. And obviously you mentioned it earlier in terms of when you were in school and the paddling and this, that, and the other. And I know it's a big part of your story, but when did the uh, martial arts start to factor into your life? Oh, gosh, when I was nine years old. And I literally was sent off to live with relatives, you know, that worked with, a, you know, for a while with Methodist Missionary Service in another country. And martial arts was part of that. And as either either that or learn the, you know, the artsy part of the, you know, of the country where you walk around with little hats and do the dances, and quite frankly, it it wasn't for me. And the only other thing besides, I can't dance. I mean, really, I mean, I suck. You ask my wife; she'll tell you he's terrible. <laughs> but um, you know, I I figured what what the hell? I you know, I figure I can fight. And I did. I learned how to fight. And then when I came back to the States, it was just it was a continuous role. And it's always been with me. And I learned the martial arts. I learned to fight and I was pretty damn good at it. You know what I've been told that over the years, I was pretty good at it. But, you know, well, you learn you learn the craft for what it is. It's not about going out and being a badass. You learn the right. craft because of what it actually is. The fact that at some time in your life or in your business, whether it be the movies, you know, or anything else, and martial arts comes back to pat you on the back, say, that was very smart. You know, that's something you did right, man. I'm proud of you. Most people, I don't think, uh, realize the philosophy of the arts because of, and I know you have done and trained in several disciplines. Yes. So people don't think about that, the mental side of that that you just brought up there. And it's no, no, they don't. And I, I will tell you, there's a, a, a very well, he's probably my best friend. And that's not bragging, but um, Chuck Norris, for instance, his philosophy, you know, because he works with kids and he has a program called Kickstart. And I'm and I'm not, you know, I'm not pushing it. It's it's I'm, I'm a part of it. But over the years, his philosophy and his 
because of martial arts, because of the philosophies that we have, he and I and so many others have been taught. We pass it on to the kids or he passes it on to the kids. And it has helped because I know there's 80,000 kids have been in his program. Many of them I know personally, and they run corporations. And uh, it started by in the streets with a single parent, in most cases, working their butt off to feed the kid and get them in school and that kind of stuff. They got into martial arts. It changed their attitude. It changed, changed their heart, made them strong, believe in themselves. And that's, that's really a big part of it. That philosophy is believing in yourself that you can accomplish and overcome anything if you believe in yourself. Absolutely. I have lived that way. I mean, I've been told, you know, when I, when I told people that I was going to get into acting, I cannot begin to tell you how many people, <laughs> when I told the sheriff, you know, in Memphis that I was going to leave, go to California and be an actor. He sat down in his chair and I, and I swear to you, he looked at me and he went, um, mm, don't you have to have a personality to be an actor? <laughs> they turn, yeah. And then there's, don't you have to have a sense of humor? He said, you don't have any, either one of them. You know, he's always, he said, you're, I've always looked at you as my guard dog, you know, my junkyard dog. When something had to get done, I sent you in there because I knew you would get it done. And I said, no, I'm going to go be an actor. He went, okay. But years later, he uh, did an interview, some, some paper, the guy who was the sheriff at the time. And he said, I thought he was crazy. Of course, I knew he was crazy, but he said he was going to go do something. And he said, by God, he went and did it. You know, so, you know, that's just, that, and that was just one of many where they thought, there's no way, man. there's no way, you know you can be, become an actor. But maybe it's that guard dog mentality that, hey, I'm going to go do this, and you went and did it. And there you go. There, there you go. That's that believing in yourself, even though you don't have a clue. And I mean, do not have a clue of the world you're about to step off in. You know, you talk about country come to town and a rude awakening. I got hit square in the face with that one. There, there's no... I'll put it this way. There's no manual to it. That's for sure. When you walk into town and say, it's not like you're walking in and buying a fridge or getting a car or whatever. The case, and they say, no, right, knock on the door. Hey, I'm here. Yeah. Put me in something. I, I feel really good about it. You know? No, it doesn't work that way. And it was. Um, no. Yeah, you're good. We're having some high winds here and we've had high winds and the dust is just. Yeah. Yeah. One of those things. I've been dealing with something similar the past Same two thing, weeks yeah. so yeah with the temperature in the northeast here going up and down and you know i can't get my shit together but you mentioned sure. chuck norris there yep. and where did you guys connect and obviously start building your relationship there's a question of the year he and i've been trying to figure that out for over 40 years <laughs> we we actually uh, we were actually sitting in uh, one of his off-road vehicles riding around his ranch one day. They just stopped and he, he looked over at me and said, how long have we known each other? I said, to be honest, Chuck, I don't know. I mean, we've met years ago in the fight in the martial arts world and it just kept going on and on and on and on till I got him on the, you know, till he hired me for the first episode of Walker 
and then obviously ended up doing, excuse me, nine or 10, all the, from the very first to the very last. I was there every year and I did one and it was just, um, it was magnificent and friendship just kept growing and growing and growing till I am the, my wife and I are the, I guess we're referred to as the secondary godfathers and godmother of his children. He said, if there was anybody, I would turn them over to, if things got hard, he said, I'd send them to you because they love you, first of all, and you love them. And I said, yeah. So yeah, we don't that's really, good. We really, we really don't know. We just, we just kind of came to the agreement. It's about, it's over four decades. So why don't we just leave it alone? So we just <laughs> left it alone. But, um, you know, there is, you know, I've, I've had the honor in this business of making some pretty good, pretty good friends. Not a lot, because I don't think anybody can go out and say, oh, I've got tons of friends. No, you have tons of acquaintances. Or you have tons of relations. But um, when you come up and you say, they're my friend, you can count them on one hand and have fingers mm -hmm. left nine times out of 10. I lost one of the best, one of my best friends I ever had when we did Roadhouse, and that was Patrick Swayze. I lost him, and he was on that hand. Yeah. So. And speaking of that, we can jump sure. there. Please. And <clears throat> as far as the friends, acquaintances, and all that being said, you. You interviewed, folks, you interviewed one of them not too long ago. I'm, Julie that's Martin, what I'm getting. Julie, yeah. Julie Miles. I was getting there. And, uh, you know, it's funny, folks. I've been trying to get Marshall for years. And Marshall has been, if I did get connected or somebody with him, it was always gracious and thank you. Time didn't work, whatever. It, it was all good. But he just mentioned about Julie. And the reason I'm saying about acquaintances and friends and stuff like that. Yeah. And the relationship I've been building with Julie has been nothing but awesome over the past couple of months and hope it she's continues a, she's to grow. A, she's a sweetheart, man. Oh, she, I don't want to brag about something she did recently. And she's, like I said, it's only been a couple of months that we've been building our relationship. And I will say this publicly, this part, and it's just the gesture, gesture she did for me was like, it floored me. It's like, holy cow. And like, I don't, I'm a little shaken up when I think about it in a good way, but that's yeah. just the person she is. And would you say Julie is one of those five digits or say, Easy, as dude. far as friends? He's the kid. Oh, she's, the kid. she's something else. I hope she didn't sit there and say, Marshall Teague, no, he's not on either hand. He's not on either foot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. She, she speaks nothing but positive things with you and we ended up doing a watch along for uh roadhouse and we had it scheduled for a date but unfortunately things were going on in julie's life with her mom and all but i can yeah. say all is good and Marshall i don't ask make, what's that and i don't ask yeah but what it if, was if she says uh, if she says marshall i need you here i will go but she yeah. says i've got some problems i say deal with them if you need me i'm here Yep, exactly. That's the way it is. But, but you know, it's 
I can say all is don't going well with that. It's funny that Julie is one of the sweetest people, but I always say this about her as well. She is a legitimate badass, and I mean that with all respect. Without question. She is tough as nails as a woman. Or not as a woman, but just in general. As a person. Yes. She, as a person, she's as tough as nails. And in her own individual, her own, and you know, when you look, when you look at her and she's easy to look at, mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you don't think of her that way, but because of the work she does and has done and all the rest of it. Yeah. She's tough as nails, man. And you've yeah. got to be She's as sweet as she looks. So there you go. Exactly. And if like Marshall mentioned, her story is amazing. Go listen to the interview there. But first and foremost, with the project of Roadhouse, mm -hmm. when did you get, I know this story has been told, but when did you get connected with the project and why did they think you fit the role you played? I got connected to Roadhouse because I was brought in to train um, Mel Gibson for Lethal Weapon. Because the uh, a gentleman on there, Barry Delaney, he was the wardrobe manager. I knew, I, you know, he had, a, he had a fishing boat and I used to go out with him in his fishing boat just to get the hell offshore and go fish for, you know, he, he was a long, long line fisherman, he, but it was just his small boat, and, but he was a great guy. And he went in there when they were having their production meetings and they were saying, you know, he needs some training. We need to do this. And Barry said, I know this guy. Would you like me to bring him in? Because he is this character and he'll work with Mel. And I did. Mel couldn't have been nicer. He was just a gentleman. And of course, I was told that I would get a job on Lethal Weapon, which did not work out. That happens. That's welcome to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. But when Roadhouse came along, I, I think it was uh, Scott Glenn was originally looked at or asked to play Jimmy Reno. Uh, I don't know. For some reason, he didn't decided he did not want to do that. And again, in another production meeting, Barry Delaney is standing there and he said, you know, that guy that I brought it here to train Mel on Lethal Weapon. Why don't you bring him in for this character? Well, he said, well, what can he do? He said, the question you would ask is, what can he not do? <laughs> they brought me in. My entire interview lasted about, oh, two and a half minutes. And Joel Silver asked me, he said, so I understand you like to fight. I said, no, I don't like it. I love it. He said, you're hired. See you in two weeks. Oh, great. And that was it. Got the right look. You got the right look. So, you know. That's how it started. It well, I was going to ask this during the watch along. And because it was funny when we were going to do the original date, Marshall asked, he sent me an email saying, hey, uh, is there anything you want to know and whatnot? And it's we like to keep that kind of stuff very organic. But there was a story I heard you tell on the DVD extras that I have to ask about. All right. And the story you were telling was one night you got a phone call from a nephew who was in college at the time. And apparently at their uh, frat house or whatever the case was, they tent whether it was monthly or whatever the case was, would watch the movie. 
and they invited you to come over to the frat house. So what is this story? Well, it's actually, it was actually my brother, my younger brother. And uh, he was in college and one of those, his club. And I was, I think I was coming back in. I think I was overseas and I came back in and he said, they're showing road. I got, we have this Wednesday night thing where they get by, you know, they have a few drinks and bring a keg or whatever, and they watch Roadhouse. And the amazing thing is everybody knew every word in Roadhouse. And he said, I'm not going to tell them, but would you come and meet me here so I could bring you into the, so that the movie was going. And it was right before some fight. I can't remember. I did so many in there. But I think it was a big fight in the bar. And I came I came in and, and they were standing there and everybody was watching the screen. They had a pool stick on the wall. I took it down and was sitting there just twirling it while they were watching the thing. And I said, you like the scene? Then they turned around, saw it was me. And then it was, then it was chaos. No way, dude, you're here. Oh, man. <laughs> and I said, you guys know my brother, right? He's your brother? Yeah, it's my brother. Dude, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I said, and he knows exactly what I know. I said, I ain't picking on him. I swear, nobody's picked on your brother. So, yeah, it was just a mad a madhouse night. It was kind of cool. Yeah, and the way you told that story, at least on the extra, you were only expecting a few people, but it was a complete, you know, saw, as you would say. Oh, it was huge. You know, I, I had no idea. I really didn't have any idea what I was walking into. <laughs> You know, and then it just went from there. It went from here to, oh, <laughs> oh can you choke boy, me? I... Somebody said, can you choke me out? Can you kick me in the side of the head? It's kind of, guys, nice. Just relax, man. You know? Hey, can, can I try to rip your throat now? <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> hey, that was, that probably came up in it. Yeah, but, but uh... you mentioned him earlier as we were getting into the movie itself. Patrick Swayze. And you hear nothing. He's one of those guys that you hear nothing but good things about. But that's exactly right. Obviously, that relationship apparently didn't start off well. You guys got started, I guess, meshing during the infamous fight scene that we were just joking about, uh, ripping your throat and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So, and obviously, you guys stay tight until his passing. Yeah. But, what when you were I don't know. Julie, Julie might have told you something about it. I don't know, but uh, it wasn't that it wasn't well. Uh, you know, uh, I didn't say we didn't speak to each other at all. You know, I mean, yeah, we would have to rehearse a little bit of a fight here and there, but as far as saying anything to anybody, each other, you know, you know, was that good for you? I didn't really give a damn. Uh, the fight coordinator and stunt coordinator both um, kind of kept us that way, and, you know, to the point that they came to me and they said, You're, you may want to kind of get him a little up for the fight because uh, he, he knows that you are NATO heavyweight kickboxing champion and thinks you're going to kick his ass because he was a ballerina. And I said, I never said that. There is no way I would have said that. But I said, okay, I mean, I'll get him, you know, whatever. First night, you know, uh, he's got this kick where he kicks me 
here. And uh, he kicked me there. And I kind of, I brushed it off after he came. I went, took a step back and then I brushed it off. And I looked at it and went, okay. And then he looked at me for a minute and they ran it again. That second time I caught his foot and I pitched him down. I pushed him down on the ground. And I said, if that's the best kick you've got, this is going to be a lousy fight. That man stood up. He had to, he locked on me like radar. Didn't say a word. He just said, roll camera. And there wasn't a soul on that set that was going to say, no, no, we can't do it. He said, roll camera. He added a couple of explicit, explicit terms to it. And we started that piece again. And he kicked me that next time. Well, I skipped across the ground about 10, 12 feet on my ass, sliding up. And I looked up at him and I was a little bit aired out. I don't mind telling him. I was a little bit aired out. And I went, oh, now that's a kick. And he looked down at me. He walked over, offered his hand, picked me up. Uh, he looked at me and he smiled. He said, you like this shit, don't you? And I said, no, I love this shit. And he <laughs> said, what do you say? What do you say? We don't cheat the audience for once. Let's just bring it, you and me. Let's leave the faces alone. we got to finish a movie. But let's just give them one that they'll never forget. And I said, you came to the right man. And that's what we did. Well, recently, I just, speaking of leaving the faces alone, and obviously you left the mark with that particular fight, but I heard that you had well, he a broken eye socket. socket. He cracked my eye socket, and that's why I broke two of his ribs. <laughs> with a board, right? The, no, the log. board. It was a log. I just picked it off the ground. I tried to hit it to, to weaken it a little bit with my fist. During the take, I thought I hit the thing, and I would come around. I don't think it cracked because I broke it over him. And uh, he, you could hear him go, boom. Oh! like this and you know and didn't say a word he just looked and said okay we're even <laughs> you know, it was just there's my receipt it was, it was just that kind of you know we actually met him you got to understand that i i had met him in 1978 when he and his wife lisa were doing woodwork you know cabinetry work and they were working over at one of the jack jacqueline smith's houses and uh, i met him there and i met at least i mean they were on a motorcycle they had their little motorcycle honda i think it was lisa was on the back she would have some wood under arms and a work sack over this and they would be and he had a work sack over his shoulder and they're driving this little motorcycle up parking it to go do cabinetry work hmm. and they did good work but that's where we met and we got along good but i was uh, i was in a security situation where i was guarding jacqueline smith so that's how that worked out. Yeah. And, you, know, you know, never, never, there was never a mean tone between either one of us. There was just no tone. We did not speak. And the reason we did not speak kind of uh, subliminally, I guess, neither one of us wanted to like each other before this fight, because it wouldn't have been what, if we were close friends, that fight would not have been what it was. There's no way it would have been what it was. But when that fight was over, I loved the man. Simply loved him. And he loved me. We were friends. And I always appreciate it. To hear it from you directly is awesome because you always heard that, at least between you two, that relationship was became so much. And I think it, I would say from what I've heard. It became one of the dearest things in my life, and there is no way. Even right behind me is a picture on that wall. 
where he wrote and wrote to me and I, I, on this phone, the first message that I've saved for years, moving it from phone to phone is the last message he left me one week before he died. And I never get rid of that. But what I was going to say there it from, and I'm really appreciative that you told that story, how close you were. I would say it was more than friends. You guys were more like brothers. Yes. Without question. And it's nice Without to hear question. that that relationship built like it did. Well, Buddy didn't have no, didn't know, a, I mean, he didn't know a stranger. You know, you asked me, I mean, Julia to tell you the same thing. He was on the set. Everybody was welcome. Everybody was welcome. <laughs> I was the only person that never spoke to him at first. Obviously, after that fight got it out of the way at the very first of the movie, then we were, we were okay to let that friendship happen as it was supposed to do. I mean, Julie, they, everybody got along with Buddy so well. And it is so unfortunate. I think I appreciate you allowing me to say this. When they had the wake, you know, not everybody could come. I mean, I wasn't even here. I was in another state. And I was asked to come to the wake. And, and I was asked not to tell, you know, because everybody loved Buddy. I mean, everybody loved Buddy. And everybody wanted to be there for Buddy. As Patrick, in case some of your people don't know, Patrick is buddy. His friends call him that. And I was asked, but I was also asked not to say anything to anybody. They asked me to give my word, and I gave my word, and I didn't break my word. I wish I had been able to do that, but um, that's just the way it was. And I kept it. It's, it, you know, everybody, everybody wanted to be there, but everybody was sad and broken at his loss. And I mean that. And that's the thing I always picked up from you and heard about you. That, And I could tell just the communication we had, but right here as we uh, chat, that your word is your bond. And without question, I have never broken my word in my life. And I just get that vibe from you. And I appreciate that. It's not much. It doesn't happen much today, but I've lived by that my whole life. And if I, I don't give my word often, but when I give it, I don't break it. And obviously I am of a different generation, but I am of appreciate just around the folks I grew up with that. And we're on video as we do this folks, that if I shook your hand and said, Marshall, let's do this, 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 whatever it is we're talking about. Let's keep that old school value and your word is your bond. That's. I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's a contract. Uh, with me. I mean, it's literally yeah. a contract with me. When I give my word, you have the contract that I will not break that word. Yeah. And hell will freeze over before I break that word. Exactly. And, and I get why things are put on paper and stuff today and all that stuff. But I am, if I agree to something with you, let's go with it. But the other thing I wanted to ask about that infamous fight scene sure. and Julie and Chuck and all weren't totally aware of this story, okay. but there was a story out there that apparently you made a bet with some crew members about not sucking air. Oh, you're talking about the water thing. Yes. The water was 42 degrees. Um, 
Chuck Paterni, great guy, great stunt guy. That's Charlie's mm-hmm. son. <laughs> I love him to death. He, he's a hell of a stunt man. But he came over to me. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's funny. But he said, Marsh, hey, Marsh, you know, they're not, they don't want us, we can't really wear a wetsuit and get into that water. And it is freaking cold. And I know that you're used to getting in cold water. He said, would you mind doing this? And I said, no, I don't mind doing it. And everything else like this, but people made bets. I mean, somebody opened their mouth, said, I bet you $500 he sucks air as soon as he hits that water. Because, I mean, when you touch the water, it was cold. Mm-hmm. And Buddy couldn't wear, you know, he couldn't wear wetsuit pants under that, uh, what it was, sweats. And here I am in jeans, and we're already soaking wet anyway from sweat. <clears throat> Sleeveless t-shirts, you're not wearing anything there. So a couple of them got together and they were, you know, betting, you know, something like I said, I said, okay, I'll take that bet. I said, I'll take that bet. You know, and that's about all I had on me was $500 because I'd saved up my per diem money. And it wasn't in my pocket, obviously, but we did the scene and he kicked me in the water and I hit the water. And I laid there, didn't move, not, uh, not a hair. And I can tell you for a fact, the hair on my head, my head hurt. It was so cold, but I laid there and I wasn't going to move. And I didn't move till they cut. And I think they rolled it extra to see if I was going to come up. But I laid there, told him a breath until they cut the camera. And a buddy's the one that came down, picked me up and said, that was a cut. And I got up out of the water and I held up my hand. I said, pay me. <laughs> I wasn't sure if they were talking about, like you said there, when uh, you get kicked and go down or was that no, you that actually when I got kicked into that water because nobody wanted to get in that water yeah I mean this, this water was coming down from a snowpack not that far away so that that uh, river there that we're at is coming from snowpack and creeks and it is unbelievable it was unbelievably cold was that you that did the quick float, float scene at the float afterwards bay, yeah. that was me yeah so that's what I mean I wasn't sure if it was when you were kicked or when you that they're floating about the well, it had to do with the whole deal. I mean, I you understand, he kicked me and I laid there in the water till Kelly came, ran in. I'm still laying there. They have their this, this, and then she comes over and he drags me to the thing and I'm laying there, rolled it over the throats like this. And then he drags me back in there and pushes me out in the river and I'm gone. You know, I, I float down you know, till somebody over the microphone said, that's a cut. And I came up and uh, pay me. <laughs> yeah, pay me. <laughs> but I don't know whether I don't know whether uh, Jules was there that night or not. I mean, uh, we fought for uh, I think it was five nights. I think four nights, five nights, and we fought five and a half hours a night. We did that fight seventy-two times, and the actual fight is five and a half minutes long. What you see is two and a half minutes of that fight. Well, overall, with the movie, why do you Sir? think? Why do you think people still love it? Because it's one of those you hear people say, "It's too bad to be good," but it's too. You know what I mean? It's like it's a mixed bag with it. I I, I don't really know because, <clears throat> excuse me, nobody went in with any expectations that this was going to win any awards. I mean whatever the rotten, well, the rotten tomatoes or something like, I don't know. Yeah. Nobody, you know, we went in, we saw it. We, 
all looked at it the same. You know, it, it, to us, it came across as a modern day Western in, in the first, first fashion. It was a modern day Western. It was good guys against the bad guys. The bad guy was running the town or ruining the town, the usual stuff. And then you have the one bad guy. There's a lot of bad guys, but you have the one bad guy. Of course, the boss is the bad guy, but the one badass guy. And that was me going up the really badass good guy, uh, which, you know, it worked itself out that way. Uh, but that's the way we looked at it. You know, the interesting thing is nobody looked at it once they took the character on. I'm talking about Sam and, you know, Kelly and, 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 and Jules, everybody. Nobody looked at this as a cheap film. And the reason for that, the reason for that is Joel Silver and Rowdy Harrington, Charlie Paterni. I mean, Charlie's one of the top stunt coordinators in, in the business. And Benny Arquita's 52 and 0 world champion. Uh, and Joel Silver, who doesn't do cheap films, he brought his A game crew to the game. Mm -hmm. That was his A team. I mean, they didn't make a mistake. They worked like a machine. They were incredible. The what I mean, after we did that big fight in the bar, you know, with the pool flipping and all that, we broke so many chairs and tables. You have no idea. Behind there, there was enough wood back there to have a bonfire <laughs> for the entire crowd of the, of the, of the Super Bowl. I mean, it's just a big stack of wood. And they just kept bringing them in. We'd break another one, you know. Uh, but that's why that movie was that. I mean, yeah, they look at it as the content is not that. But when they look at the quality, when you look at the quality, the lighting, the movement, the fact that it had that pace, and it didn't back off. It just kept going. You might have about a one minute or two minutes soft, and then went right back into it again. And it was exciting. Uh, they didn't really do a lot of advertising about the movie. And mostly Roadhouse was word of mouth. And then they yeah. tried to shut it. They tried to shut us down one time. They, I honestly tried to shut the movie down one time. We're toward the end. That big fight in the bars. And some, you know, racer, racer heads tried to close it down. And the drivers, the guy said, well, you can't move this equipment without the trucks. We have the keys to the truck. I said, we've been out here with these people for two and a half months. And they've been busting their ass to do this film. And they are going to finish this film. And so they just said, you're not moving anything without us. And they're not. <laughs> so they gave us 24 hours and we shot straight for 24 hours. And that's the last big fight. We we pushed it for 24 hours straight. And you talk about a bunch of tired puppies. We were worn out. Oh, yeah. But I got to ask you about two people before I hit my Please. final question. And I hope I'm answering your questions. You, you are you the information that I, I think the movie deserves. Yes. And I, that's the first time I ever heard about the 24 hours there. So, well, nobody remembers it because they were so damn tired. And, you know, you don't really know, you know unless you're associated with in and around the drivers and the crew, because we were, <laughs> you find out that they came out and told them to move the equipment. They said no. You know, Teamster said no. We're not moving this equipment until they finish this film. And that was the end of the argument. That, that was it. I don't care what bean counter you had come down from upstairs. 
they weren't moving that equipment without the trucks and the teamster said no. So most people, most people might not know that, but that's a fact. Well, the first guy I want to ask about, and I had some interaction with him, I'm guessing in the early two thousands because okay. of his other profession. And I hope he's doing well. You hear things and, but I hope all is well with him. Terry Funk. How was it working <laughs> with Terry? Cause you hear stories about Terry and sometimes Terry would, let's just say, and I mean this respectfully, would embellish his stories. But I love Terry. He, well, he was if great. Was, if he did, if he didn't, it wouldn't be Terry. <laughs> yeah, let's just start with that. I mean, here's a guy who used to go over to Japan and, and fight, and they would blow up the ring while they were in it. Think about in this. his 50s. In his 50s. But then he would say, I say, Terry, why are you doing that? You know what he'd say? Well, his soft little voice, he'd say, Well, I have to take care of my babies. I gotta take care of my babies, so I gotta do it. We went to his we went to his ranch one time. Of course, his ranch is you know, he sold his ranch. He had enough of that. But Terry is one of the sweetest gentle giants you'll ever be around. Uh, he, he is just that right, sweetheart. J Terry Funk is just one of the sweetest. <laughs> My wife's uh, just yeah. What, what's it, What's his what's that statement? Oh yeah, he had on his hat. He used to have a hat. He gave to my wife's dad and it had funk this <laughs> and he had it on his hat. It was great. He, That's he, he was able to have fun with himself and his whole family was, his whole family was into wrestling. I mean, yeah. And I'm an old school fan and I always loved Terry and I was thrilled to be able to deal with him when I did. And well, I'm the story I heard. I'm glad you put it in that context because once he gets rolling, you kind of have to let him, you just have to kind of let him go. Terry is Terry. I'll put it that Terry way. Terry is Terry. That's right. But the one story, and when I say about the embellishing, and I asked Julie, and I also asked friend of the show, Anthony DeLongis, which we'll get into in a second. They didn't know. But the way or the story Terry would tell when it okay. comes to Roadhouse was there would be a rap party. And there was, you know, Joel Silver and all did it, did it up well, well, there was music and food and beverages, you know, they had, it was a nice rap party. Yeah. Well, apparently Terry got up with whoever was playing the music, whether it be the karaoke or the band, whatever it was. And he started to try to sing some songs, but Terry being Terry changed it up and kind of was shocking people that didn't know him. Were you around for this? Uh, let's just say he changed the tone of the music slightly. And some dug it, some didn't dig, dig it. <laughs> but well, when Terry, you said was Terry, Terry was being Terry. That's all I'm going to say. Well, soon as you sat up and said, well, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, and God bless that man. He is. God bless that man know. is right. <laughs> yeah, that's, we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yes, you will. Yes, we will. Yeah, there, there are stories we can tell about the man, but we will not do it while it's recording. <laughs> that's for sure. 
I, uh, I was as honest as I could be about that. Yeah, like I said, we'll leave that while it's recording as it is. Uh, but I mentioned the other man's name who have built a nice relationship for and love the guy to death. He was working with you, Anthony DeLongas. Swordman. Yes. Swordman, whipman. He, yes, he's, and for folks who haven't seen him and love it, and I always bug him about it, but he goes, but he's cool about it. Yes, I was a fan of a movie that came out before Roadhouse Masters of the Universe where he was Blade. He's Blade. But the thing, yes, but the thing I always like to ask him about, because you mentioned the whip, his expertise in the whips and the swords and everything else like that. Excellent. Exquisite. Horseback riding too. Horse, and he's got the ranch out there in California. Well, yeah, my wife, my wife and him went horseback riding. I mean, that's we went out there. We were out there. Matter of fact, we put it. He and I put in a great picture window in his house. This huge window he wanted to put in the house. So I, we went over there one day, and he and I we built frame and put this absolutely immense, shall I say, exceedingly heavy piece of glass into this window. And the next thing I know, my wife and, and Anthony and they've got on the horses. And, they're gone. Yeah. Like I because I I've been talking to him about it. I just gotta get off my ass and do it. I want to go out and visit the ranch and stuff. And he's like, let me know, call me. <laughs> yeah, but I hear it's just wonderful out there. Well, you know, he's he lives out, lives way out there. He lives way mm-hmm. out there, but he and his he and his wife, you know, they have Dr. Mary. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they've developed their lives around, uh, she, she very, first of all, she's an exceedingly bright lady. His wife yes. is exceedingly bright. And so, so is Anthony. But he, mm-hmm. is, he has developed his craft with swords and whips. And, you know, when this comes into movies, and they always come into movies, I mean, you know, who do you call? You know, it's not <laughs> Ghostbusters. You call Anthony. Yeah. And Anthony will come out there and he'll set you straight. He will work with you, you know, from the first, the first, your first moves to being able to work out a whole technique with a sword flawlessly. And, you know, for the stuff that gets really radical, of course, he'll stand in or he'll stand in on a character and do it himself with another sword master. But as far as Anthony, he's just a great guy. Oh, yeah, awesome. Just a great guy. I mean, I think he came up with the idea of the knife and the boot is my understanding. <laughs> I could be wrong, but it was my understanding that he came up with the knife and the boot thing. So, and everybody blamed me for that, by the way. You know, I've been blamed for years. For, they think I killed Sam Elliott. I can't even begin to tell you how many people over the years said, yeah, you killed Sam Elliott. And I look at I said, I wasn't anywhere around the man. You were dead at that point. He was dead. He had, besides that, it was a knife in his chest. I didn't carry a knife. I didn't need to carry a knife. I carried pool sticks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the thing I always like to ask him about is because the one thing I watch, and I have a background in history, mm-hmm. and he, he did a special with uh, the History Channel. I can't think of the name of the special. Talking about the whips and the swordsmanship sure. and, yeah, just the, and, and the expertise. where they where they came about in history and why this particular blade or saber or, you know, whatever was used and why. Yeah. And that's probably the one channel that I is on my TV when I watch TV. And it's like, yeah. I was watching this particular weapon special. It's like, 
not, it wasn't too long after I first got connected with Anthony. And like I said, uh, I've sure. built a friendship with him since. It's like, oh, yeah, like I popped. It was like, oh, shit. You know, like it was the coolest thing in the world to see him on explaining, like you said, the history of things. And sure. But uh, I, you've met, you've mentioned people to people today, you know, and I've mentioned people today, you know, Sam and Julie and Anthony and all they're all very dear to me. I, I think the world of all of them and, and I hope just they, good people. I, they are good people. And I hope they feel the same toward me because that is how I feel toward them. And uh, we were lucky. And I, and I say this, you know, people can say whatever they want to about roadhouse. I don't care. I mean, it's everybody's entitled to their opinion and I respect them all. But when you bring, it's rare that you bring together a group that Joel and, and, and they brought together to do a movie that people think was not going to do anything. And 33 years later, it plays every damn week where the end, I don't care. So it was to, for me to say I was a part of that, you damn right I was a part of that. I'm very proud to be a part of that. And I'll say this to wrap on the movie before I ask my final question. And I was thinking about it when you were talking about Joel Silver and Rowdy and everybody bringing the A-team in. I would say that this movie capsulizes the end of the 80s and wraps everything in a nice little bow there, whether it's the fight scenes, like the old Western, as you put it, the monster trucks, just it puts everything in a nice little bow there for that time period. I would have to say you are correct. I would say we put we put the star on the tree. And there you go. That's that's how I would look as Roadhouse. It is the star that sits on the tree for the 80s. Absolutely. And we are talking here on April 3rd, but early last week. And I think it's prevalent because you worked with the man. So I want to make this the last question. You worked on Armageddon. And earlier last week, I believe it was, there was an announcement made from Demi Moore and his kids and everything about what's going on with Bruce, that he's retiring because of some health issues stuff. What kind of memories do you have of Bruce and how would you categorize him as a person? I had the pleasure of working with him on three different things over the years. Early, His first gig, which was Moonlighting. I worked on Moonlighting with him. Then we did this very large commercial for the Japanese market. He and I uh, did one in there. And then, of course, Armageddon. And, I, and I've run into him so many times over the years. And there is, no, I, I, have, I can say for me, there has never been a time that he has not treated me, my wife, when we're around him, with the utmost respect. He, you know, Everybody's got stories. Everybody's got stories. Great. Have your stories. But I can truthfully say, and and I certainly was not of the magnitude. I'm not going to say caliber because I, I think of myself as caliber as good as anybody. But the magnitude of being as well known as Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis never treated me with anything less. I mean, just hold on. I was just going to say that Bruce Willis never treated me with anything less than the highest respect. He was very respectful toward my wife and everything. I mean, 
I've run into him and it's always, hey, Marsh, how you doing, Marsh? What are you up to? You know, that kind of stuff. And did he have to do that? No. He did it out of respect. Yeah, everybody has moments, everybody's moments. And I'll tell you, being honest, I wish for him nothing but the best. And I, I, and I thought it was incredibly brave of him to come forward and his family to come forward and to say, look, here's a guy that's brought you a lot of entertainment over the years. He has, he has put it out there. Have the decency to give him the respect in his moment when you can show when you can show a little class and say, I dig the man, I wish him the best, I pray for him, I want nothing but the best for that man. He is a legend in his own, in his realm, he is a legend in his realm. Yeah. You know, and you and, just have to look at it that way. And he is, and I never had the pleasure of dealing with him at all, but you hear the stories because especially for me, because he is from about originally 20 minutes south of me in Jersey uh -huh. Grove yeah. or something like that. Yeah. He was and, driving a cab. I think, I think he was driving a cab or bartending. I'm not sure which one, you know, I think he was bartending when they discovered he went in for moonlight. I was up in New York. Yeah. And they picked him up from there. Yeah. I remember yeah. his first day on the set. I, yeah, was, that... I was friends with Sybil Shepard and I, you know, Sybil told me that she had this show coming and there was this, guy from new york that was going to be playing her counterpart so you know i remember when he just got got there yeah we we're from south jersey i'm from south jersey about uh, right over the bridge from philadelphia and he was about 20 minutes south of me in like i think it's called pens grove something like that if uh, i remember town. but yeah he's you know i end of the day like you said i hope nothing but the best for whatever's going on and Hopefully, I'm people will show the respect they deserve. I'm glad you brought that up. I really am glad you brought that up uh, because I think people ought to know that here's a man that put it out there for you. You know, just like and Buddy. Just, you know, he's a Buddy. Just like that, he just put it out there for you. Show a little class. You know, uh, understand that he did it for you. Have a moment. Turn around and say thank you in your own way. Thank you for the entertainment and wish him well. And that's yeah. really what you have to do. Well, speaking of that, what is going on in your world currently? Do you have anything coming up? What's well, I've got a couple of things I'm working on. I've got, you know, surprisingly enough, I have a five o'clock meeting with my uh, partner. We're on an action film we're we're uh, working on right now. That's that's looking very good, and we're also he's also my partner in the production company, and we've got a series, which is a science fiction science fiction horror fantasy. Hmm. historic I, I can actually add historical fantasy in with it but it's uh, in a genre that we are writing and we're very excited about very very excited about it everybody that knows of it i think first thing they say if this has never been done i say i know it hasn't been done so we're very excited about it uh we got uh, my wife and i got kicked in the teeth here recently we had somebody come in and hijack our facebook so we're having to re, you know, redo that. So if you put it out there, if they want to get a hold of us, they can get a hold of us at Marshall R Teague Facebook and uh, was it Twitter, Facebook and Twitter. Marshall, I have to ask her because she's the boss. <laughs> I just, I just do it. But you know, we got we got hijacked, and I thought that was pretty rude. 
Yeah. You know, then, I, I then thought I had to, that similar tried yesterday. Tried to sell it back to us. Tried to scam to sell it back to us, and then, and they were in Vietnam. It's kind of like, no, I'm not going back over there. I've been there, <laughs> not going back. You know, so no. Yeah, that's a whole different <laughs> box of worms there. But uh, but we're we're very excited about where we're going, and it's you know I have a project that'll be out I think this year I think, and I, it was a small part I got to play, but I was just tickled to death to be a part of it, and it's the story of Ronald Reagan covers 70 years of his life. I'm a Russian in this one, you know. <laughs> so, Ed, so. Edyard Ed Shabanazik, who ended up being the president of Georgia later on. I was going to say, were you one of those that, from that infamous quote, tear down that wall? <laughs> yeah, actually, he was one of those. He was one of those characters with Gorbachev when that uh, statement came along. Absolutely. And no, the it, other it's, thing it's you mentioned, exciting. yeah, absolutely. The thing you mentioned there is that hasn't been done. It's a mixture of things. I'll put it this way. Color me intrigued because to say that something hasn't been done in your industry, because especially nowadays where everything's being remade and redone and you, you piqued my interest. Well, I, that's kind of why I'm not, I don't talk a lot about it. Uh, I don't talk a lot about it. It is about a genre that everybody knows, but I'm just going to say the fashion of which this is being taken on has never been done. So, so I'm going to leave it there because that way, that way I don't have to give it away. You know what I mean? Exactly. Well, as he said, you can check him out. Marshall R. Teague on Twitter and Facebook. Marshall, thank you so much for the time and the candor. Man, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for bringing forth the things that... Uh, is truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day and special seasonal gift sets. But also, let's not forget large orders for party favors by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out, please feel free to visit littlebeansopery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansopery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Julie Michaels, and you're listening to Crazy Training Radio.